potato famine. 2022. It's only one tater that we lost, but feels like a famine. Welcome to the program. (laughs) Happy Friday. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Uh, the phone numbers, if you want to weigh in on any of the topics here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I'm Pete Callender. Thanks a lot for uh, letting me be a part of your day and hanging out with me. Uh, got a couple of, well, actually, I have a lot. I always have way too much show prep. I, I over-prep, but it's, I still wake up with the fear that I have not done enough prep. Always. It's been this way my entire life. I always feel like I'm going to miss a deadline or I haven't prepared and the mic opens and, oh, my gosh, I got nothing. And it leads me to create, like, a lot, a lot of show prep that I never get to. Anyway, um, so I spent a good bit of time going through some of the analysis of uh, the raid. Don't call it a raid. Uh, so we're calling it a trans raid, the trans raid of Mar-a-Lago. So first off, um, there is obviously the latest development that occurred where the federal judge told the Department of Justice, hey, uh, I'm not believing what you're uh, laying down here, so why don't you go back to that affidavit that you used to get the search warrant uh, for the raid, not a raid, trans raid, for the trans raid. So uh, why don't you go back to that affidavit and just redact the stuff that you say is super, super sensitive. Because the DOJ is like, we don't want to show anybody this affidavit. And I don't know about you, but I totally trust the DOJ to behave appropriately when it comes to Donald Trump, right? That's what we've learned over the last six years. So um, a federal judge ordered the DOJ to put forward proposed redactions as he committed to making public at least part of the affidavit supporting the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago. This is the Associated Press story by Terry Spencer and Michael Balsamo, which great vinaigrette, by the way. Anyway, U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhart, who I've gone over some of his potential conflicts uh, in the past, such as uh, he was the judge in the lawsuit that Trump brought against Hillary Clinton. That is ongoing. It's a defamation case. And the judge, uh, about, what, two months ago or so, recused himself, citing some sort of conflict of interest or whatever. Uh, He recused himself from that case, but then he turned around and signed the warrant. He was also a Hillary donor, I believe. Uh, Oh, and also he was a lawyer uh, working at, uh, I believe, uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office. uh, And then he quit on like January 2nd and then immediately went to work for some of the uh, uh, co-defendants as part of the Jeffrey Epstein sex human trafficking ring. Yeah, some of Epstein's colleagues and went to work for them like the next day, raised all of these uh, uh, complaints against him from uh, plaintiffs, from victims who said that he was first, you know, working on the case for the uh, for the government and then immediately switched sides. And that's not ethical. Anyway, that's the judge. So he said that under the law, it's the government's burden to show why a redacted version should not be released and prosecutors arguments failed to persuade him. OK, so that's the burden. That's the standard. You have to show me why a redacted version can't be released. And whatever the DOJ said was not compelling. 
He gave them a week to submit a copy of the affidavit proposing the information that the DOJ wants to keep secret after the FBI seized classified and top secret information during a search at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate last week. Notice the word not being used by the AP because they are dutiful in their word smithery. Uh, Raid. They're not using the term raid because the DOJ doesn't like that word. We don't like you saying that word in connection with this. We simply served a search warrant. So the hearing was convened after several news organizations, including the Associated Press, believe Judicial Watch was in on this as well. They sought to unseal additional records tied to the search, including this affidavit. And the affidavit is where the people investigating, usually, you know, the uh, the agency doing the investigation. This is a different level. So you know, it could be a police officer, it could be FBI or whatever. They submit an affidavit under, you know, perjury penalty. And we all know how often the FBI agents get in trouble for making stuff up on their uh, requests. But whatever. So they uh, write the affidavit and uh, they uh, they attest to it and then they use that to convince the judge to get the warrant. Okay, And the media wants to see the affidavit because we already got the list of the stuff that got taken uh, in the uh, trans rate. All right. So. It is likely to contain details about the Justice Department's investigation examining whether Trump retained and mishandled classified and sensitive government records. The Justice Department has adamantly opposed making any portion of the affidavit public. They say if they did, it would compromise its ongoing investigation. It would expose the identities of witnesses, and it could even prevent other people from coming forward and cooperating with the government, which I'm not so sure about that last one. I understand, I mean, like, I understand these excuses, and they may be valid, but the last one, I'm not so sure about that one, because if you put out the affidavit and people see that you actually have something and they understand where the investigation is going, it could actually prompt the opposite. Right. It could have more people calling up the FBI and being like, hey, saw the affidavit. Um, I can give you some information on that. Please don't arrest me. So you don't ever know. Back to the AP story. The attorneys for the news organizations argue that the unprecedented nature of the investigation warrants public disclosure. Quote, you can't trust what you can't see, said Chuck Tobin, a lawyer representing the Associated Press and several other news outlets. Um So does this mean he's undermining confidence in the FBI? He's suggesting that we can't trust what we can't see. So he doesn't trust the FBI. And I've been assured over the last week or so that any kind of questioning of the FBI about stuff that they're keeping secret and they don't want to tell us any kind of questioning. I mean, you're basically threatening to murder people, right? That that was the standard asserted by. Media and government and you know, how dare you criticize this trans raid. In addition to ordering the redactions, the judge agreed to make public other documents, including the warrants cover sheet. Yeah, OK, I, is there a lot of value to the cover sheet? Is it going to be like a fax cover sheet? The Justice Department's motion to seal the documents and the judge's order requiring them to be sealed. Those documents showed the FBI was specifically investigating the, quote, willful retention of national defense information. All right. But here's the thing. All of the leaking that has been going on since the trans raid. It has helped to actually build a picture to paint a picture. 
And I'm not so sure that the picture that has been painted is the one that the leakers have been actually trying to paint. I think they may have, I think they may have been uh, a little counterproductive in the leaking. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Top Justice Department National Security Prosecutor Jay Bratt argued in court that even a redacted version of the affidavit used to get the warrant at Mar-a-Lago could reveal investigative steps or create the ability for sleuths, or those being eyed in the investigation, to identify witnesses in the case against Trump. Now, uh, while the DOJ has been saying, we can't give you any more information about any of this stuff, it would compromise people, lives are at risk here, they've been leaking all over the place. Well, not really all over the place, just to their preferred media outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Newsweek. So we get all of these stories over the last few uh, days. I I guess it's been a week, right? So over the last week, we've been getting these stories about all of what they were really looking for, and here's why we did it, and leak, 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 leak. That's how important of an investigation this is. Last week's raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago home represented the culmination of a criminal investigation pushed by a partisan bureaucrat who called January 6th the, quote, absolute worst day of his life. And while since last Monday, the country has focused on the FBI's trans raid of Trump's personal residence, seeing that as the crossing of the Rubicon, the die was cast this spring, actually, when the DOJ went to the grand jury about Trump's presidential records. This is from The Federalist. It's written by Margot Cleveland. Margot Cleveland is their senior legal correspondent. She's a contributor at National Review, Washington Examiner, townhall.com. She's published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. She's a lawyer. She was a grad from Notre Dame Law School. Um, She also served 25 years as a permanent law clerk for Uh, a federal appellate judge on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. She's a former full-time university faculty member. She teaches as an adjunct from time to time. So she has credentials. Margot Cleveland has credentials to, I would submit, offer an informed opinion about what it is that the DOJ has been doing and what the goal has been. Okay? And what she did was go through and piece together the timeline. And when she does this and, and lays it out, and she goes, she goes into a lot of the, the legal background and the codes and stuff, I'm not going to get into that. I'm interested in the, back, in, the, uh, in the timeline. And so she goes and says, uh, the reporting by the New York Times and the Washington Post from months ago, when you piece it together and you consider them together with uh, best practices related to presidential and other governmental records, it reveals the reality. The National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, N-A-R-A. The archivist for NARA at the time was David Ferrero. And David Ferrero's comments over the last, oh, I don't know, eight months or so, along with the leaks that have occurred in the same time period, paint the picture for us. As to what the DOJ is doing, I don't know this to be true, but it paints a picture. 
It's a different picture than what the DOJ leakers are trying to paint for us. During the spring of 2021, the archives discovered, quote, some high-profile documents missing, such as correspondence with North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un. I mentioned this the other day, right after the raid, that there was this, the the leaked report was about uh, how Trump would, like, show people the love letter, he called it, from, uh, from the North Korean tyrant. He also had the letter from Barack Obama. You know, presidents leave a letter for the incoming guy. They leave it in the drawer. And, you know. There was also the map of Hurricane Dorian from Sharpie Gate, right, where he drew the projected path so he wouldn't be wrong when he drew that on the map, remember, with the Sharpie. That was apparently uh, in his possession. And according to Ferrero, David Ferrero, the archivist, according to his congressional testimony, they began talking with Trump's people right after he left office about presidential records. So this goes all the way back to early 2021. Now, the Presidential Records Act says documents that get created or are received by the president or his staff, uh, his immediate staff, uh, like memos, letters, notes, emails, uh, or other written communications, if it's related to the president's official duties, then that they would be presidential records and they're supposed to be preserved. Now, there are personal records and they remain the property of the outgoing president. Things like diaries, journals, personal notes, things that were not prepared or utilized for or circulated or communicated in the course of transacting government business. Okay? So the archives maintained that the letters with Kim Jong-un and the other documents, that these were all presidential records and that the U.S. owned them. And obviously Trump said, no, I own them. These are my personal records. And this is what led us down the path to where we are now. All yellow. News Talk 1110. 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here going over Margot Cleveland and her big write-up at thefederalist.com. Headline records suggest a bureaucrat hacks gripe spurred Trump raid. Bureaucrat hacks gripe. The bureaucrat is the former National Archives and Records Administration archivist, David Ferrero. Um, He was in charge of the archives, the NARA, the NARA, uh, when Trump left office and maintained that letter, uh, the NARA maintained that the letters that Kim Jong-un sent and Barack Obama left for Trump and uh, the big Sharpie gate map of the hurricanes uh, projected path, uh, that those were presidential records, not personal records. And so they wanted them back. All right. That was, so that was like shortly after Trump left office. Okay. That then led to the retrieval of the 15 boxes of stuff of presidential papers from Mar-a-Lago in January of this year. Okay. So it took like 11 months, but they got the 15 boxes out of Mar-a-Lago in January. Okay. Then in February, The Washington Post reports two significant leaks. First, that within the material that was returned to NARA were documents marked as classified 
And that's the first part. The second part, that the archives officials asked the DOJ to look into the matter. That's a big deal, right? That's the second big deal. Significant leaks. Don't know where it came from. <coughs> Ferrara, <clears throat> maybe. But leaked to the Washington Post. Hey, we found some stuff in there, classified, and so we asked the DOJ to look into it. This will become important uh, in a few moments, okay? Just keep in mind, NARA asked DOJ to investigate. All right, that's in February. Then, um, in March, NARA is in consultation with the DOJ, and by April, according to more leaks to the, uh, to the Washington Post, the DOJ had launched an investigation into Trump related to the 15 boxes that were retrieved. Another DOJ leaker told Newsweek in late April a federal grand jury began deliberating whether there was a violation of the Presidential Records Act or whether Trump unlawfully possessed national security information and that the grand jury concluded that there had been a violation of law. Now, far be it for me to suggest that a grand jury in Washington, D.C., of all places, might be a little overanxious to indict particularly Trump or any Republican former president. But it's basically impossible for a Republican to get a fair trial in D.C. There just aren't a lot of Republicans, residents there, right? They all live in Northern Virginia. All right, so further leaks revealed then that the DOJ, by springtime, had issued a subpoena to Trump. They're asking for the additional documents. And... The grand jury reportedly also issued subpoenas to obtain surveillance footage from Mar-a-Lago, including views from outside the storage room where all of the, uh, the documents were being kept. And then, according to the New York Times, in response to the grand jury subpoena, a top counterintelligence official for the Justice Department met with Trump's lawyers. That was June 3rd. And that person left with additional material marked classified. And then the raid. And shortly after news of the raid, uh, news of the trans raid, sorry, the trans raid, shortly after news broke about the trans raid, DOJ leakers took to the PR teams at the New York Times and the Washington Post to spin the search as a drastic response to a dire problem. Trump's supposed possession of documents about nuclear secrets. But a look at the search warrant reveals that the classification question is a red herring, she says. None of the three criminal statutes relied upon by the DOJ to justify the search required that the material sought to be classified. You follow that? They cite three statutes to justify the search, but none of those statutes require the documents be classified. So why would you cite classified documents as the reason when you're not citing it as such? Okay, so that's the first point she raises. She says then that the leakers have pretty much given away the game. The DOJ leaker told Newsweek that the archives, quote, believed that the former White House was stonewalling and continued to possess unauthorized material. Okay. So... You're, the White House is stonewalling, or former White Trump is stonewalling. I don't want to give you this stuff. All right? The, then there's another leak 
um, or sorry, the same leak to Newsweek. She says this reveals that the raid of Mar-a-Lago, sorry, trans raid, resulted from the criminal investigation into Trump's compliance with the Presidential Records Act prompted by NARA, right? Because remember, NARA went to DOJ, asked them to investigate. And, and I told you, you know, bookmark that for future reference. I'm going to come back to that. So NARA goes to DOJ, says, hey, we want you to investigate. And so the raid results from the criminal investigation into his compliance with the Presidential Records Act prompted by the archivist Ferrero. And for three reasons, Americans can safely conclude, she says, that the DOJ's launching of a criminal investigation and its use of a grand jury to do so to target the former president was a political witch hunt, she says. Here's why. Three reasons. Number one, NARA handled its discovery of Hillary Clinton's violation of the Federal Records Act, which is the same thing as the Presidential Records Act, but for secretaries of state, for example. NARA handled it differently for her. Vastly so, as we all recall, right? In her case, NARA did not initiate an investigation of her email practices. Rather, it said it was communicating with the State Department on the matter and deferred to the State Department's review. So they deferred to somebody else. They just kicked it to somebody else. They said, okay, State Department, you take care of it. In contrast, in the case of Trump, NARA referred the matter of documents stamped classified to the DOJ, which then promptly opened an investigation into Trump and used a grand jury to subpoena Trump and others as part of that. And then there was Ferrero's admission, the archivist, his admission that he decided to retire at the end of April because he was worried about the political future. He said, quote, it's important to me that this administration replace me. I'm concerned about what's going to happen in 2024. I don't want it left to the unknowns of the presidential election. And that's kind of weird because you're an archivist. Why is that a political gig? Why would that matter in the performance of your role? Why would it matter what president is appointing you or your replacement rather? What's up with that? Unless you're saying that there is some sort of a political role. Interesting. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so three reasons. According to Margot Cleveland at thefederalist.com, three reasons the DOJ's launching of a criminal investigation and using a grand jury to do so is a witch hunt. Number one, the archives, uh, National Archives handled its discovery of Hillary Clinton's violation of the equivalent. Uh, they handled it very differently. Number two, um, the head archivist, this guy Ferrero, um, he said, uh, hey, I wanted to retire so Biden could uh, could name the replacement. As if that should matter. It should not matter. You're just an archivist. Why Why are politics uh, a consideration? Number three, his comments during a post-retirement interview discussing January 6th suggests he holds an anti-Trump bias. I'm not going to get into the details there, but it's pretty clear he does. Um, it's not merely this referral to the DOJ and Ferrero's apparent bias that suggests a political motive. It's the reality that even if the documents were classified, even if they were, Trump has the right to access them. And the archives 
could have worked with Trump to set up a secure location for his presidential papers, which is exactly what Ferrero did with Barack Obama. Yeah. Before Obama left office, he rented a private facility. It was called uh, Hoffman Estates or the, yeah, it was like a, a storage place in, in the Hoffman Estates, whatever. That's what it's constantly referred to as. He put his presidential papers in there. And the only difference between the Hoffman Estates storage and uh, Mar-a-Lago storage was that the documents were technically within the possession of NARA, the National Archives. But even though the documents were legally the property of NARA, Obama still had the right to access the records, including the classified documents. So if upon receiving the 15 boxes of documents that they got back from Donald Trump, NARA had legitimate concerns about the security of Mar-a-Lago, which would be a strange worry to hold, considering you got Secret Service all over the place, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, but a bureaucracy committed to the country and safeguarding her artifacts would probably or maybe should have worked to arrange for the documents to be preserved under the auspices of NARA control in a location chosen by Trump, just like it did with Obama. But they didn't treat him like they treated Obama, and they didn't treat him like they treated Hillary Clinton. The presidential records were never the concern, she said, nor were the documents with classified markings, which remained secured along with the Trump family. The goal was to get Trump. That's why NARA referred the matter to the DOJ, which then used a grand jury to investigate the former president. And once the grand jury began the case, under the apparent auspices of a violation of the Presidential Records Act, I mean, that's if the sources that leaked are to be believed, right? Well, the DOJ has now teed up the possibility of an obstruction of justice charge, for anything less than full cooperation in the minds of the FBI agents. This is the the, sort of like the perjury trap tactic. If you are, if you don't do now exactly what they say, that's an obstruction charge, right? First, you find the target, then you find the, the crime, and then you bring the charges. That's where we are in our society, it seems like. Been that way for a while. It's the problem when you create so many laws. Just as an aside, Margot Cleveland concludes, given these problems with the underlying legal theories, targeting a political enemy and former president of the United States with a search warrant represents an unforgivable lapse in judgment. And as for the claim that the DOJ needs uh, needed to recover these vital national security documents, the shifting stories spread by leakers suggest that this rationale is just a pretext. After all, within the course of one week, The justification for the search went from nuclear secrets to classified documents to videos suggesting the documents were not secure to videos suggesting Trump team was serendipitously moving the documents then to a confidential human source claiming Trump continued to possess presidential records and then to a supposed lie by Trump's attorney that there were no documents present at Mar-a-Lago that were marked as classified. Why so many different reasons for the uh, uh, among the leakers? What's going on? No matter the excuse provided for the raid, the reality remains the Biden administration launched an unnecessary grand jury criminal investigation into Trump based on a referral from a partisan archivist. And all Americans of goodwill see the obvious difference in the government's treatment of Clinton, Obama, and Trump. 
proving that the purpose of the investigation was to get Trump, not the documents. Again, that's Margot Cleveland at thefederalist.com. Very lengthy piece. She goes into all of the different laws. I gave you the highlights of it. Well worth your time to read. Um, up next, oh, well, we've got we got a story out of Wake County. I, I turned on to this this morning. I'll tell you about it. It has to do with the sheriff up there. Pretty disturbing if true. <laughs> 